Mainu Mondol is the founder, chief executive officer, and member of the board of directors of Ellipsis Health as a skilled healthcare IT business leader. Uh, Mr. Mondol has deep experience in the technology, healthcare, pharmaceutical, retail, and defense sectors. In 2020, he was selected as a milestone maker by the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center and serves as a member of the World Economic Forum, working to improve the state of the world by engaging leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. Previously, Mr. Mundell has helped launch the Clearstream Initiative within the Freeman Spoli Institute at Stanford University. Prior to founding Ellipsis Health, uh, Mr. Mundell was a Rockefeller Fellow at the Public Health Institute. He has presented lectures, ran workshops, and has been a guest speaker at leading universities, including Stanford, the University of California, and the Indian University of Technology, or Institute of Technology. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Welcome to Ben. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and really sort of good to be here. Um, I'm still fluent in Bengali, so if you ask, uh, I don't sound good, but I can still speak. So if you want to ask any questions in Bengali, please feel free. Excellent. Excellent. No worries. Uh, uh, we like to ask this to everybody who joins these sessions, uh, just to kind of get to know them a little bit better. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Where did you grow up? And I guess when you were younger, what did you aspire to be? Yeah, that's quite a, quite a, quite a mouthful of uh, things to say there. Um, I grew up in Dhaka. Uh, I grew up in Dhaka. I was there. Um, I went through high school there and came to, came to the U.S. Uh, from my undergrad. Um, you know, I think growing up, um, I had this fantasy of, of just growing things, right? So the, the multiple fantasies, I guess. We all have fantasies, right? Uh, some days I want to be a farmer. I had no clue how difficult and hard it is to be a farmer, right? Extremely hard job. But there was one time that I wanted to be a fireman, no clue, right? Uh, then I wanted to be in so the military, right? So my point is, I, I think that I grew up in a, in a family where uh, public service is super important. I, I, think, I think we all need to serve in our own fashion, right? I think that it just sounded really fantastic. And I, and I, and I garden now, I have a little bit of a yard. And I can tell you, if I'm struggling with that small yard, I can imagine what farmers do on a regular basis, right? So... So I think that was my brought up. I mean, I think I was um, very lucky and very grateful to, to, to have been grown in Dhaka. Uh, and I think that, you know, I, my, my dad's side is from Bogura and my mom's side is from Chittagong, right? Uh, actually, Sundeep, right? So, so I think that, um, you know, I, I think getting exposed to both sides uh, in many ways. And I think also, um, you know, Dhaka has changed, right? So seeing the evolution of Dhaka and Bangladesh over the years uh, has been fascinating. So I learned a lot. I think Bangladesh is such an epicenter for for innovation, right? It's 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 a, you're able to sort of start things quickly and see if it you know passes or fails quickly, right? So very very privileged to be to be from there. It, it reminds me, of, you know, my my mom's from uh, Fini, uh, yeah. outside Chittagong, and then my dad's from Rajshahi and. People always ask, well, how did they meet? Well, Dhaka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. And it's very two very different cultures. Um, in your early career, um, how did you get to Silicon Valley? And, and what made you go into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I, I came to the U.S. on an F1 visa, right? I don't know how many of you have gone through the process. But, you know, you, you, you take your, you know, 10th grade exam, your 12th grade exam, at that point, you're thinking about whether you should go to Australia or the UK or to Canada or to the US, right? It's a mixed bag of everything, right? We, you know, at that point, this was early 2000s, right? Um, 
and you know you're looking at dial-up connection, trying to get on the websites and all that, right? So or applied to uh, applied to took my SATs and applied to both Canada in the U.S. Um, we went through the the the, the really fun visa process uh, at that point, especially. I guess it's harder now, uh, but it was pretty hard then. Um, and then you know that that's how I came to the U.S. And then Silicon Valley is 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 you know I, I the first once I graduated from college in 20, 2006, I was a management consultant, um, and I think that you know I was so lost because I had no clue what I wanted to do, right? So out of the few offers I had, I'm like, well, management consulting sounds fancy. It sounds great training ground, right? Because it does, it, it gives you, it gives you an exposure in a way that very few jobs can, right? And then you've learned very quickly. Um, so that's why I had the privilege to have worked in a bunch of different industries, knowing all the things that I'm bad at, it's a long list, right? Um, and then, um, and then, sort of, my roots in Silicon Valley kind of started through that. Got it. And could you tell us a little bit more about what ClearStream did, or, or the origins of that project? This was a passion project. Came out of Stanford and supported by the Freeman Spogel Institute. Uh, Working folks from here, you know, this came from my early sort of childhood when you take the sort of the bus or the the car drive to. Bogura and Russia and others, you'd see um, you'd see all these itervatas, right? So all the bitcoins, right? An insane number of those, and and you know, look, I mean, we 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 need manufacturing, we need construction to build a country, build a society, right? But it came out with an insane amount of pollution, right? So instead of kind of was back in my mind, okay, how? And, and, and by the way, as you all know, the labor laws are non-existent in this bitcoins. Right. You have kids and women uh, who are taken advantage of, right? Kids and women are taken advantage of. You know, uh, I'm in San Francisco now, and it was um, 90 degrees in San Francisco, Baria, and I'm like, oh my God, it's hot, right? And this is nothing compared to what people are doing, especially kids and women out there in the sun, you know, 35, 38, 40 degrees Celsius weather. Forget the 80, degree, 80 90 degree Fahrenheit. You're looking at these kids, you know, and not even getting paid, right? So it, it was a little bit of that um, uh, injustice, a little bit of the fairness, uh, a little bit of the pollution, all of that was a factor for me. So I was looking at technologies to replace all the brick kilns um, in Bangladesh to be supported by, you know, we had some really fantastic partners um, through the consortium, through the Freeman Spogli Institute, which you should look at. They have the really amazing work they do, Freeman Spogli Institute. The bunch of really fantastic advisors. They're amazing work. Take a look. Um, so in my mind, I, I, I wanted to sort of um, look at the mechanics of how we would slowly take away the brick cones. But I think thought was much cheaper than, you know, it was nice to think about it, but I think about nationwide change of that requires a lot of different factors coming together. So that was my, that was my Freeman's, uh, that was my um, Clearstream uh, initiative. Got it. Um, and I think this is a good segue to kind of what you're doing now with Ellipsis Health. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the origins of the idea? You know, how did you come across this particular problem and decide to work on it? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we all have to be honest with ourselves about uh, mental health, right? I think that we've been giving lip service to mental health for centuries, probably, right? 
And we talk about it, we don't take any action. Uh, very recently, we started taking action. So the idea came really sort of, well, I got exposed to mental health issues in my family back when I was 10, right? Uh, you know, being South Asian, you have genes which are not always healthy. So, you know, my, my parents' side, they have diabetes and hypertension and God knows what else, right? So um, my dad used to work a lot. Sister, I mean, I was 10 and my sister was slightly younger. I used to take my mom's blood pressure every day because she had very high, high blood pressure, right? The, the point I'm making, you know, at that age, what I understood the, the physiological aspects or not, I knew what high systolic and diastolic pressure meant. I knew what to do, right? At the same time, I started hearing the words depression, anxiety in the family. I'm like, what is this? Like, what, what are we talking about? It makes no sense. And nobody could explain it. Nobody. The reason nobody could explain it, because there hasn't been any science around it. Right? You need rigorous science to be around as a disease to make sense out of it. Right? So you fear it, but you do not know how to understand it. Right? So that was my experience when I was in, in my teens. Fast forward now. 15, 16 years in San Francisco, my mom is having our case management calls. I don't know if you know what case management calls are, but these are calls that get triggered by a hospital or insurance company for folks who have, um, you know, diabetes, heart disease, and other things to check in, right? And if you think about this, our GPs, who are also called PCPs, primary care physicians, nurses, amazing human beings, case managers, amazing human beings, but they're tasked and asked to do something they don't understand. They don't because they haven't been trained to, right? The clinical folks haven't been trained to understand clinical psychology, right? So if you do not train to understand that, you're going to miss it by design. You are going to miss it. So in my mom's case, this case manager is an amazing human being, but when it came to sort of understanding mental health for my mom, she's got severe depression, um, she gave something called a PHQ-8 and a GAT-7. PHQ-8 and GAT-7s are basically eight questions for depression, self-reported, by the way, and GAT-7, seven questions for anxiety, and said, hey, here you go. Here's your assessment, right? So my mom is a denial. She, seems, she, 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 she tells me she's always happy. No, she's not, right? So anyone can go and close their eyes, right, and check the boxes they want them to check, right? Makes no sense. So all of a sudden, she has self-reported something that is not necessarily honest and truthful. Not that she's trying to lie or anything of that sort. It's just, it's self-reported. It's just not accurate. So that's been the state of affairs for the world for decades. Okay. So I figured that if you want to make mental health and physical health the same, you have to have the same science, right? So I knew from my reading that the way we speak and what we say have a lot of signals what's happening in the brain. Okay. So when the conversation is happening with the with a patient like my mom or member and a caregiver, a nurse, primary care physician, if you can take that conversation and make models out of it, look for signals, what's happening in the brain, then you would actually be able to measure depression and anxiety in a scientific way. If you have that, then you can say, okay, we now understand it. What do we do next? So that was the genesis of Alexis in uh, end of 2017. Got it. And could you tell us, you know, I know you've got a, obviously you're the CEO, you have co-founders as well. Uh, how did you end up kind of recruiting others kind of in that journey? Uh, you know, how did you end up being the CEO? 
I, I think by accident, really. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think that most of us founders who end up having the idea are by design become the CEO. So I'm still the CEO so far, as far as I know, on, on 9.18 on this morning. Uh, but, uh, but I think that going back to sort of the more important part of our, our company are the people, right? So I, I think that we were very, very, very lucky to have the people we have. So I've got two co-founders. Uh, Mike is an ER physician. He's been an ER physician for, for a few decades. An amazing, innovative, well-known uh, clinical guy. Um, you cannot just build a uh, tech company focused on health with technology. You have to have physicians in, in that group. Right, so we have a bench of really awesome uh, clinical people. My co-lead clinical person is Dr. Carrion, who's a vice chair at, at Stanford. There, because you know, when you're creating a new technology, it doesn't matter what I say. Right, I have no clinical background, nothing. Right, I can think about it, but at the end of the day, you have to validate it. Right, it actually works. You have to publish it. Right, so you need to have the right people in the team who can think through. We can give criticisms and we can walk you through what's happening and how to understand all of this. Anyway, so that team, then I was um, um, uh, Susan Solinsky, uh, chief commercial officer, also my co-founder, amazing human being, has done, uh, has done healthcare technology startups for the last 20 years, was founding member advisory board. So she's just very, very business. Uh, at the end of the day, you'd find ways to people pay for it, right? People meaning in our case, hospitals, insurance companies, right? And then the other key people I'll just mention quickly, you know, a chief science officer, Elizabeth Schreiberg. She was head of speech for Microsoft, um, head of speech for Stanford Research International, right? Top scientist in speech, has 300 patents of publications. So for me, when I designed the team, when we designed the team, it was important to have the clinicians, have the scientists, right? Have the commercial people and the technology people. Uh, my CTO is Ajit Varma. Who was, a, uh, who was a tech lead at Twitter, you know, because we wanted to build scalable systems. That's all how we came together. It didn't happen all in sequence, right? I had known Mike for eight years, uh, right? So look, founding a company with, with other founders is hard, right? It's very hard because you are gonna butt heads. You're gonna have fights, right? But at the end of the day, hopefully it's respectful. Hopefully it's uh, constructive, right? And you know, these guys are more seasoned than I am, so I learned a lot from them. And, and you know, I, I think that's quite interesting. You know how you have kind of within that team. There's obviously everybody brings something to the table, and it's kind of a holistic kind of way to approach the problem. Um, maybe fast forwarding now to where the product is um, and what it offers to the various sorts of, I guess, the key constituencies or the uh, groups that can use it. So I see here payers, providers. So let me let me tell you this ellipsis journey. So here are my observations back in 2017, right? I had no idea how to do this. Zero. Right? I had this vision. I knew I knew how this could potentially work, but how do you build a company like this, right? Because for me, this this company couldn't shouldn't be just for Silicon Valley. Shouldn't be just for New York. Like it shouldn't be just for people who can afford it. It has to be for everyone, right? That's a problem in is health in general. Right. For me, it was, you know, to give you a sort of analogy, right? It should be for people who can afford it. It should also be people who cannot afford it. Right. Healthcare is just the exact opposite, has been functioning, right? Um, so think about sort of a mom who, you know, sort of less fortunate city in America, let's say Detroit, amazing city, but not as fortunate as San Francisco and the Bay Area. 
mom who's got you know five kids three jobs right she's busy right she, she's bringing food to the table and all that stuff there's no way that she can afford the the really expensive psychologists psychiatrists mental health professionals no way right on the other hand somebody more fortunate from new york or san francisco can right so my idea goal was how do you how do you sort of create technology at a price point that can be available for every single home doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter what you look like right now doesn't matter what you look like sound like it's important getting the tons of noisy data out there tons right you google it you'll find it noisy data is not helpful right the kind of models we need to build we need to build a models that was a good representation of gender right male female good representation of ages right what is the age group you're serving good representation of culture right i mean think about this the people from dhaka speak different from chittagong right like different accent you don't understand what they're saying right and you know my my mom says from that area right um um accent uh color ethnicities right so we had to think about when we go out to market how do we show people how do we show large hospital systems insurance companies this algorithm is actually working it's working across the entire population spectrum because we have done data collection and training across all these different segments right if you think about what apple got in trouble with apple got in trouble with the face id because it was not recognizing uh, a, a specific group african americans right because they hadn't trained it on that healthcare again has to be for everyone which means the training data the data collection all the data is really important of it was very hard it took us five and a half years um to do data collection and training five and a half years right one because healthcare a lot of the studies that you see come from again what we pointed out here on this conversation from um middle class upper middle class caucasian folks nothing wrong with that being that amazing right but that is not the representation across the population right so finding data set across the board is very hard finding mental health data across the board is extremely hard and rare right so when companies emerge especially deep learning companies saying that oh we have you know we have uh, validation right you said what validation do you have what papers do you have because healthcare you have to publish and has it shown that it's effective across someone who's 18 afro americans to an 18 who is south asian to an 18 who is hispanic right and caucasian that's what we thought through from the get go right if you look at our publications that we have one of the things that we are the most proud of we show the algorithm validation across different ethnicities right so super important don't have anything in bangladesh uh we are looking at countries now beyond the us uh which involves south america brazil to be specific and japan um actually sort of a, a perfect use case for bangladesh right so a lot of the chws right who are basically case managers they call you know you guys all know there i think the sort of the social workers who go door to door very simple use case would be you have a significant number of postpartum depression Right, maternal childhood right which is one of the goals for for i guess you know the, the millennium development goals i think right we could equip every single we're calling it a copilot right what lipsus health has done is a copilot 
is a co-pilot, is a very lightweight mental health coach to be with a doctor or nurse case manager, right? It's all algorithms, right? So when they're going and doing a, a home visit, right, they can use a technology to assess for, for mental health, especially, for example, postpartum depression, right? So we do not have any partnership right now with any, any companies in Bangladesh. I mean, I, I have tons of my family still in Bangladesh and my friends. Uh, but the first thing is data collection, right? Who is going to be able to help with the data collection? Number two, who is going to be able to sort of do the distribution, right? Number three, how do we sort of make this sort of uh, a viable uh, organization in Bangladesh? I think those are the three fundamentals we have to think through, and we haven't thought through that yet. Um, you know, it's also the, the, the I, I think that the, I think that, uh, People are curious about. If I look at the Jap Japanese market, which is a different market than the Malaysian market, but they're naturally curious to understand numbers, right? So I was in Japan looking at how this would work. You know, I think that in Bangladesh, I think there's a wave probably that's going to come through, because I think if you think about sort of darkness, it's basically absence of light, right? If you can think mental health the same way, how do you sort of measure mental health so people understand it better? Um, and uh, I think would be. I think we'd be excited to talk to someone. I mean, it's a country I grew up in, right? A country my family has done a lot for. And the country's done a lot for us. Um, so, I, you know, we'd be keen to sort of take an interest and say, what can we do in Bangladesh? But ultimately, it comes down to serving the country, which means the data collection, model, and distribution need to be key. And even as you say that, I'm thinking about the sort of NGOs, including some who are members of BAD who have that kind of national reach and have those kinds of health programs uh, who might be kind of, I guess, good partners for things like that. But yeah, yeah, I'd love to kind of, you know, just deep, deep a little bit, dig a little bit deeper into kind of the business model now. And, and like you said, like the U.S. healthcare system is very different from maybe the one in Bangladesh, uh, where it's maybe more, you know, consumers pay more of the out-of-pocket, but you have different constituencies like payers, providers, employers. Uh, how did you get them on board and, and what, you know, why are they working with Philips Health? Yeah, so we, we made a decision from the get-go that um, stickiness is important. Stickiness is very important, right? And in consumer, stickiness is hard. There's a, there's a cost to acquire and maintain that base. It's, 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 it's very expensive. Um, you know, for, for the American health system, to, to have a mass adoption and scale, you need to be able to work with insurance companies. Right. And for insurance companies, incentive is to, for better care. The way that to provide better care is to understand the risk associated with someone. Right. So for us, the goal was that Target has always been number one. How do you work with insurance companies? Right. Uh, it's very different from the Bangladesh market. Um, you know, the insurance companies here, uh, for example, United Health is the largest one and probably the largest health insurance company in the world, or at least one of the largest ones. Right. They have tens of millions of people. They have no way to sort of have touch points. So the ellipsis health technology, if you think about sort of what I had said earlier, acts like a co-pilot. So when you're having a nursing conversation, when you're having a primary care conversations, when you have a case management conversations, our algorithms are able to listen to that conversation, right? So there's no humans involved, none whatsoever, right? So when the voice comes through, that's I'm talking to you back and forth, it's, it's, it's conversational. When the voice comes through, we take apart, we meaning the algorithms sort of separate 
the provider voice and the patient member voice. So it knows exactly who the physician, nurse, case manager is and who the member and patient is, right? Then it de-identifies it in real time, saying that all right, we will have no idea who this voice belong, belongs to. Then every five seconds, it hits a bunch of algorithms looking at how someone's speaking, speaking and what someone is saying, okay? Then about a few minutes, it's doing all assessments, right? In real time saying, by the way, you know, John is a score of 20, uh, you know, which is sort of severe depression, right? So it does assessments, not just binary, but actually classification, severity of depression and anxiety. And based on the severity, then it says, well, if somebody is actually mild to moderate, that person can wait to actually see a doctor, a psychiatrist, psychologist, a mental professional versus who's severe. So if you think about the backlog, how do you solve the backlog problem? Not everyone has to see a doctor at the same time with the same urgency, right? So we are doing the assessments. We also do the, the triaging. So anyone who's severe, we drop them for an appointment. Anyone who's sort of less severe, we give other intervention, right? The other aspects of ellipsis, not the core of ellipsis, important is in the background, all the note summarizations, right, are being done by ellipsis. Things like, you know, which came from my personal experience, you know, what is the member talking about? What is the patient talking about? Are they talking about transportation issues? Are they talking about food issues, right? So we're collecting a lot of this topic analysis saying that, hey, next time you talk to John, you know he's been talking about food insecurity. How do you help him with food issues, right? So this, the algorithms are smart enough to be able to do all of that. So how does that, you know, look like in, in practice like in the field? So would I walk into my physician's? have, you know, ellipsis health kind of in the background on, on an app, you know, when, uh, you know, on their phone or how, how do you, what is that device and the means by which you kind of capture this interaction? Yeah. So first of all, it's only available to um, mid-sized to large systems. So, um, so, and, and it works in two ways. Uh, so I'll answer the first question that you just had and then I'll answer the second question. Um, so in, in the U.S., there are case management platforms. There's also EHRs, right? So Epic is one of the largest EHRs. So when, when a conversation is happening on a platform, like a case management platform, we're taking the speech from there, right? So because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an ambient listening. Right. So there, there's voice in the because there's a microphone in the room, right? You have a laptop on or you have a thing on. So we do patient consent and privacy, all that stuff. Right. So no one's voice is being streamed and analyzed without their permission. Right. We'll never do that. That's number one. Number two is so when 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 they're using the software that they have already in place. Right. We're taking the speech through that platform. Right. So one of the innovations, you know, if you think about sort of where Microsoft is heading and OpenAI and Nuance, right? What Microsoft do, does really well is transcription, right? So they have something called Nuance, as you all know, right? It's a speech company. What Microsoft does, one of the best things they do is transcription. We take the same speech, the why and the what, how and the what, how someone's speaking, what someone's saying, and analyzing it, right? So that's one way. We start off training our models on the PHQs and the GATs because that was more available than anything else, right? 
So that is already the gold label that the industry accepts. Do I accept it as a gold label? I don't, but that's what the industry accepts. Then the second tier, which is much more robust, are called HAME, HAMD, which are structured clinical interviews. Okay. Third one is sort of, um, it's, 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 it's like it, when you have psychiatrist assessment, psychologist assessment, right, which is basically a doctor's assessment. So the way Ellipsis Health has built its algorithms, actually multiple validation. The PHQs, now it's HAME, HAMDs, and the psychiatrist. So when the voice comes through, the algorithms are actually have been trained to think like a psychiatrist mental professional, right? We are far beyond the PHQs and the GADs. Um, does it make mistakes? Of course it does, right? Because, you know, healthcare is not, um, it is not nowhere perfect. But what we have shown is that we are, we are in the high 80s. If you think about specificity and since true positive, true negatives, we are very, very high on that now. And the, and the way we have done, so that's how we do it. And if I said open the hood a little more, not all psychiatrists, psychologists will say the same thing about the same person. They won't, because it's been a very subjective field. So we have done, when we started doing the data collection and the modeling, if a psychologist and mental professional disagreed with someone's assessment, we had another psychologist go and rate it, right? And say, okay, now do they agree, right? So that's how we've done it. Uh, so the algorithms are been fine-tuned quite extensively and if you talk about data size, data set size, right? It is incredible to get this data. It's very sacred data. So you have to protect it really, really, really thoughtfully. But you need millions and millions of voice files to be able to do, you know, something really well. Uh, and th that takes years. So we have companies like Relaxi uh, in America. You've got Headspace, you've got comms of the world. Working with Headspace, we'll be working with Com. The way we plug in is sort of the app version, right? You can be part of the app. When the voice comes through, we do assessment, triaging, and intervention, right? So it helps monitor, not just screen. Now, the thing is, we've been trained on the U.S. market. We are going to train on the Japanese market. We're going to train on the South American market, right? Now, it's not going to work in Bengali, right? Because there's two, I guess, two kind of primary layers. There's the semantic and there's the acoustic. Maybe semantic is kind of relatively easy to uh, uh, translate literally, but the acoustic ups, there's a lot of nuances based on accents, and even within right. geographies of the country. Yeah, like the US, both our models are strong enough. So even if you don't use the acoustic or whatever, like both of them can hold, right? In the Japanese market, we are thinking of just rolling out the semantic, not the acoustic, right? In Bangladesh market, if someone speaks English, it'll work. If somebody's speaking the, the, the Dhaka, the Bangla, again, depends on the accent, but the, you know, it could work because it'll translate, right? But in some cases it won't because, so the question is that, you know, is there enough proper translation that Google can do to feed into the semantic model? Interesting. Another thing I'm struck by, like going back to you know, the fact that you get, you've spent kind of five, six plus years kind of building this data set, uh, training your uh, platform. Uh, and, you know, now that there's, uh, you know, players like, you know, Headspace and others that have kind of worked with you, it's almost like data, you, you, your data is remote. Right, at the end of the day, it's about being able to serve people and help patients, members, who has the largest, right? So we, we fundamentally decided that we will not be on the treatment side first. Now, it will Lipsis Health have an AI 
mental health coach in the six to nine months? Absolutely. It's already in the works. So anything, we'll not just do assessments and triaging. We are going to have a clinically valid, proven AI mental health coach in nine months. Right? So every single home can have access to intervention as well. Right? We're not saying that you don't go to the doctor, you do. But doctors, psychiatrists are expensive. So you, you add both, you do both. Headspace and calm health. And we start talking about things, right? We said, we know any intervention, you do the wellness treatment, everything, right? We don't, but we'll do the assessments, right? So we can route people from insurance company, right? For the ones who have minimal depression, anxiety, and not just depression, anxiety, to a headspace and a calm, right? That's not our job, right? That's their job. Um, so we, that's where we become the top of the funnel, right? And as you know, the insurance companies have lots of lots of data, diverse data that few companies have. Having said that, in nine months, we will have an intervention, which is not on product roadmap for calm and headspace, as far as I can tell, on an AI mental health coach, right? To be with you, to be to give you some intervention. And, and based on that, what what is your revenue model? So do these different players, insurance companies, you know, uh, these digital health platforms, do they plug into your, uh, do they plug in and do they just pay for on a per call basis? Or yeah, how do you make money as a, yeah. as a platform? So for assessment. So every time you, you hit our algorithms, uh, we get a range of, depending on, on the volume, there's a volume discount. So on the lower bound, it's about one point some dollars. And the upper bond is about four point some dollars every time you call our API. Got it. And you don't really have much in the way of direct costs, do you, in, in providing these um, assessments uh, to the whoever's that, you know then plugs in? A lot of our investments were front loaded, right? So it's about data collection models, optimizing models, all that stuff. So our cost to roll out our current algorithms on the assessment side is has been optimized. However, we are going to add other things to our algorithms, right? So we are going to add PTSD. We're going to add some point bipolar. We're going to add all that stuff, right? All of that will require another few years of development, right? Validation, right? So what we're commercially available in business with, depression, anxiety, note summarizations, triaging, all that stuff. But we're adding on, right? We're adding more. That's one. Second, we are actually on our way to make an AI case manager right? Because you will never have enough case managers. You'll never have enough therapists. So we can, all, we can have AI case management supplementing uh, human case managers, right? So we are a co-pilot now. We will be the pilot down the road, right? So that people like my mom have more touch points. Okay. And, and would, would such a case manager, AI case manager be white labeled or would it be under Ellipsis Health, uh, you know, banner? We'll take what we negotiate. I mean, you negotiate United Health, you know, Manuel's name doesn't matter at all, <laughs> right? If United said, we look, either use our name or walk out, you're going to use their name, right? So I think what we've been successful in doing so far is saying, you know, United Health powered by Ellipsis Health, right? But at the end of the day, they dictate the terms. And if you're, if you're willing to walk away, a different story. If you're not, then listen to them. You've also talked about, you know, some uh, a lot of your costs being front-loaded, 
obviously to kind of build a platform, train the algorithm and things like that. Um, and so you've had a few rounds, including a $26 million Series A, I think in 2021. Just curious, you know, could you also walk us through at a high level or kind of your the size of your rounds? We're always curious about that and, and the progression there. And what did you have to show in terms of progression between, let's say, a seed round versus a Series A? I think, I mean, look, man, fundraising is, is more art than science. Simple, right? I think they're, they're hard numbers. So our first round was led by Kosla Ventures. Uh, so Vinod Kosla led that round. And uh, the way that happened was I got an email from his office saying that he's interested in talking to you about what you're building. I'm like, how does he know what I'm building? Like, I was not talking about this at all. Somehow they have deep roots, the venture funds, and they have an idea, right? Maybe I talked to someone else who talked to someone else who told me you know, what I was working on. Who knows? I don't know. So, you know, and I don't know if you know Vinod or how much you know about Vinod, but he's an incredible thinker and he is gifted at um, challenging you in a good way, right? And uh, when he's asking questions, they're not asking what, you know, they're asking you to give blunt answers and quickly, right? So with Vinod meetings, you will know in the first five minutes whether it's going to happen or not, right? Because it'll become that clear. Um, and and so he's taught me a lot. I've learned a lot from him in being blunt and precise. And anyway. so he and I were in a room for about an hour and a half talking about not just what we're going to do, but with the vision of ellipsis, right? And the seed round happened. The, he led the seed round of a four mil or so um, that was, you know, when he started the company. And at that point, you know, AI is, everyone's talking about AI now. Not, not a whole lot of people are talking about AI back then. AI has been there for a long time, right? So we, we, we knew that we had to spend the money wisely because if you don't have money, your company's dead. Simple. Right? At the end of the day, you're also serving the investors and their, their answer constituents, right? So we, 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 we hired the, the really good people, but the small team and built the science. So when we did the air round, the validation was, wow, you guys are actually not claiming things. You actually have published publications, top tier publications doing how this would work, validation. And at the same time, we were getting sort of inbounds and in companies like Cigna and United Health, right? So our A round happened because people believed there are two gates, science gate, clinical gate, which we're past. I said, okay, now that you've passed that, who's talking to you to make this actually viable, right? So that was the trigger of the A round, like the signals of United is talking to us and what this could look like. So we did about 35 total, 35 point something total in, uh, in financing so far. Uh, it's, it's mostly venture backed. Um, and part of the venture back also have some individuals who put money in and very grateful from early, very early days, uh, incredible human beings, right? Writing a check for, as an individual, very different from writing a check as an venture fund, as you all know. So very grateful to those folks. Um, and now we're looking at a strategic, like how do you sort of build a company with clients in strategic financing, right? Um, so that's, that's sort of our next evolution down the road as we think about financing, who would those founders, uh, funders be? Who could be our clients, right? Who could help us grow the business? Got it. Uh, there's three fundamentals, at least of ellipsis, right? Uh, looking at transparency, right? You have to be transparent with, transparent about what it, how it works and, 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 and what the real results are. In healthcare, 
nobody should be overselling, right? Because if you oversell, something goes wrong, it is horrible. I mean, horrible for you as a human being because that's not part of your value, right? So for us, I think the, 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 that's why I said that if you think about my, my, my answer around crafting the team, right? We, we recruited best of the best clinicians to help build this company, right? Because we wanted to get their feedback from very early on and say, okay, what's not working? How do you find fine tune, right? So we, we did a good job on not even doing anything commercial for five years because we tested it, tested it, tested it, tested it, tested it, right? Um, so, so I think I felt comfortable as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur saying that do we have the right team, right clinicians to hold us accountable, right? I can tell you, my co-founder, Mike, as I said, and signed it. the reason we were able to keep someone like Louis Triberg, Mike's, and Victor's of the world, right? Because we've proven ourselves to be ethical. We've proven ourselves to be very transparent. We've proven ourselves to be very, very good about telling clients what works or doesn't work. Never overpromise. So I think from that regard, I have always felt comfortable that our science is our strength, right? And we've shown peer-reviewed publications over and over again, right? So it felt good about it. Now, in general, healthcare will never be 100% accurate. It won't, right? So the times you have made a mistake, you should always have, you should always be very truthful and honest about that mistake, right? And let the client then take the risk. All you can do from your side to the best science and clinical validation, share everything with your clients and let them take a mistake. These guys are the ones who have run companies, successful companies in healthcare for decades and centuries. They will know exactly what risk they want to take, right? As long as there's enough consent and privacy, all that in mind. And for investment, look, I mean, this is a high-risk venture, right? There's no playbook for a company like this, none whatsoever, right? So we learn from people around us. So we can do only so much uh, in terms of investor returns and employee returns. Uh, part of that is exciting to build a field that hasn't existed before. The vocal biomarker field never existed in creating from bottom up with every single fundamental structure in place, the science, clinical, and all that. And one thing I'm struck by is how long it takes to kind of realize the fruits of those labors, right? I mean, co-pilots in healthcare, you know, AI-based pilots. I mean, that's now all the rage and as people are talking about use cases, uh, but then <laughs> you've been doing this for since 2017, all right? Um, and, and now kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of having its moment, uh, but obviously like it, it took a long time to kind of build that head start that you have um, currently. Um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to you know staying in touch with you and hopefully look for those collaborations in in, in Bangladesh uh, sooner than later. Uh, thank you, Faya. Thanks.